Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. This episode of Mr. Benfica is presented in memory of Portugal's handball national team goalie Alfredo Quintana, who passed away last Friday on February the 26th of complications after suffering a heart attack in training while practicing with his team, Futebol Clube do Porto. And it is a reminder that in the game of life, there are no clubs and there are no rivalries. Rest in peace. Alfredo Quintana. Test. This is rock and roll. Time to drag it from the Delta to the DMZ. Is that me or does that sound like a Presley movie? We the night. Oh, we the night. Hey, is it a little too early for being that loud? Hey, too late. It's 0600. What's the for? Oh my god, it's early. Freddy and the Dream. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 107 of Mr. Benfica. And why not? Good morning, Vietnam, for lack of a better term, because, my goodness, it feels like we are there again. And, um, well, happy birthday, Benfica. Not much not much of a birthday th- this year, as things have just been absolutely abysmal within the club, and so much turmoil, so much bickering back and forth, so much dislike uh, within elements of the club. It, it, it's a real hard time right now, but... Um, we are just, again, we are two hours away from kickoff at the time of recording. And Benfica getting set to take on Rio Ave this afternoon, round 21 of the Liga Nage. And Benfica need desperately to get back on the winning track. 
But what we're going to talk about in this episode today, uh, we're going to review, I think that it's been three weeks, guys, since I've had an episode. I apologize for that. Um, things getting crazy again. And uh, yeah, just it seems like everybody wants everything from me right now. And that, that spreads me pretty thin, and I haven't been able to to record these episodes that I've wanted to the past couple of weeks. So what ends up happening is now we have like six games to talk about today. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to quickly recap through everything um, since the last time I came on on February the 9th. So uh, we have a, a couple of league matches to talk about. I'll just summarize it, and then I'll spend the second half of this episode uh, really Focusing in on on the Europa League and on the the round of 32 tie with with Arsenal that didn't go our way. We were seconds away from advancing, but once again, Benfica just could not close the deal in Europe. And well, there's a lot of questions to ask, so I'm going to ask those questions when we get there. Um, before we do that, however, I you heard there on the top of the show, uh, very very sad. Uh, case of events last week with the passing of Portugal's handball national team goalie and football club do Porto's goalie Alfredo Quintana. Okay, uh, he passed away after a heart attack in practice, and it's very, very sad. As uh, not just because you know he's Portugal's goal goalie and whatnot, but it's just sad when somebody dies at age 32 uh, in, in you know in what should be the the best years of his life to a type of situation you wouldn't expect a professional athlete to have to worry about. And, uh, yeah, it, I think it left everyone in the world of, of sports in Portugal in shock. And the tough thing is going to be Portugal's national team has an Olympic qualifying tournament in handball, men's handball, in about 10 days' time from now. And um, they're going to try to qualify for the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And if they qualify, they... <laughs> The entire team obviously would go, and that would like quadruple the size of Portugal's Olympic delegation going to Tokyo, assuming, of course, that the games go on as planned, and they should, but assuming that the games go on in Tokyo, um, I know I'm certainly pulling for Portugal to, to get there in men's handball. It's it's very rare we get a team sport to qualify for Portugal. Um and it'll be great to, to get to follow that when the time comes, but uh, they're going to have to really, really pull it together quickly um, while they mourn the death, obviously, of one of their brothers and of their goalkeeper. And, um, yeah, like I said, there in the, when, you, when you're talking about real life, there there are no clubs. There's no rivalries. There's no clubismo. Life and death is just not something to, to mess around with. And maybe we all need to keep that in context when we, uh, when we insult our own players, when we insult our own our own representatives, our own uh, club officials, um, maybe a little bit too much. And um, I'm going to kind of use that to segue to what appears to be death threats towards Luis Felipe Vieira. And those of you that listen to this podcast and have listened to the podcast, you know exactly how I feel about the current president of Benfica. But by no means... Will I tolerate or will I condone any type of, of violent threats or any kind of death threats towards the president or anyone? I mean, I, one, of the, one of the fascias I saw even included his family, and that's just disgusting, if it's real. There's also those that believe that these, these were fake threats that were put out by the, by the board or by the administration themselves to garner some kind of sympathy. If that's the case, that is... That is incredibly pathetic, and 
you know, if caught doing that, that should be an automatic dismissal, not from just a position of power in the club, but from the club in in general. They should be they should be expelled from the club. Anyone, anyone doing this, whether they're on the board or they're not, whether they're doing it to gain sympathy or if they actually mean it, anyone caught doing this needs to be expelled from the club. With that said. I do think that it's time for an extraordinary uh, assemblea. No doubt, the AG, an AG needs to be called, and I, I know there's there's some foot soldiers on the ground working very, very hard, working very hard to get the signatures needed to call that AG, and um, hopefully that they're still going, and hopefully they're still getting signatures, and hopefully we can get to a point somewhere where this gets addressed in the open, not through the lens of a BTV interview, not through social media threats, but in the open with words, with, with conversation, with dialogue, with with debate, we come to a solution as to how we're going to get this club going in the right direction again because we're headed down a very ugly road right now and this is getting eerily familiar to what was going on with our neighbors just a couple seasons ago and it's no surprise. I'm not blaming the man, but the same person is the manager of the team uh, where you're getting this type of reaction from the supporters towards the board, towards the president, towards the administrators. And I'm not blaming JJ at all, but it, it is kind of a it is kind of an interesting um I wouldn't even call it a coincidence. It's kind of an interesting tidbit that, you know, he's been the manager for for, you know, now two presidents that whose clubs are trying to run them out and um i don't know i don't know it it it's hard to explain because this has been really bad the team has played horribly okay and luis felipe vieta took to btv yesterday on on uh, february 28th to an interview and i'm not going to talk about that here today i'm going to dedicate I'm going to watch it again, going to take some better notes, and then dedicate a specific episode just to that interview the way I did to his his uh, appearance on Trio de Tac back in the fall. Um, I'll break it down for you guys and, and give my thoughts and my reaction and my response to, to some of the things he said. Um, I got some mixed feelings, obviously, and I don't really appreciate excuse making i understand that things have explanations there's a difference between explanations and excuses okay in spite of the explanations better should have been done anyone who thinks otherwise needs to relook at it okay um i again i'm just my ears turn off when you start to blame empty stadiums when you start to blame covid as if we're the only team going through it okay if it ripped through our locker room and not anyone else's, we have to look inward and see as to why were we affected. And well, it, I think it's clear why why it went through our team, and it's because our manager was was positive and kept testing negative. No, it's not his fault, but faulty testing kept him around and kept spreading the the virus, and that's why we lost so many players for a four week period there, in which we we didn't win a single game, and we're struggling to win now. We're struggling to pick up wins. We've got two matches this week. We've got Hiwav coming up in about two hours, like I said. And then we've got a cup match later in the week that we got to finish out with Ishtaril. It's a second leg. We have a two-goal a two advantage. We just need to see it out. But really, really struggling to get results right now. Yeah, we're struggling to play well, but even struggling more so to get results. And, the two, and it's not like the two aren't related. Okay, 
performances and results are very much intertwined. They're very much interlocked. One clearly affects the other. Okay? And I think it, it says something that match after match after match, whoever you listen to, whoever you read, whoever covers this, this team outside of the mainstream media who just, you know, give a status quo answer all the time, everybody continues to point to the same couple of players as the best on the field as the man of the match. And it's our two center backs and our holding mid, or our three center backs and our holding mid. Okay, right now, when you talk about the best on the pitch after each match, it is either Otamendi, Vertonghen, or Weigel. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good for a, a team who needs to score goals, that our best players are the ones keeping the ball out of our end or the ones, you know at least further away from the opponent's goal. Our forwards are not scoring. I have a th There's something in the way we're playing that's really bothering me, and I'll get to that. And it's very much a systematic or a structural issue that I have, and it, it, it continues match after match after match. I don't see it changing. And when I watch other teams, I don't see that same flaw in their game. I'll get to that when I talk about our 4-4-2 versus our 3-5-2 versus our 3-4-3. Um, and where I think we should go is I, I've said it before, and obviously um, I don't think any type of system can be implemented and then aborted within two matches. That's not enough time to see if something is going to work or not. I really don't think any reasonable person can say that. Uh, some people look at things very, very narrow scoped and very much in the present, and they want to scrap everything that doesn't work on the first try. But I'll tell you what doesn't work is playing that 4-4-2 I was playing when I was 12 years old. Simple. F two lines of four with uh, twin twin forwards, twin strikers up front. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay, it, It's incredibly simple, overly simplistic. We don't have the players for it. Our midfield is far too weak to have only two central midfielders. Okay, Our midfield is far too weak to play with four. We need a fifth guy in there. Absolutely need a fifth guy in that midfield. If it's the two outside backs pushing up, well, maybe that's a possible that's a possibility if we play with wing backs domestically. But if every time we play domestically, we go back to that four four two, we're not going to get any better. We're not going to get any better. And well, I'll get into it. But the manager's subs the manager's right now his record of substitutions is really really poor. Each time he makes a change, he weakens the team. None more obvious than, uh, you know, in Greece last Thursday against Arsenal. So we'll get to that as uh, as the episode makes its way there. But first, we're going to talk about the Liga and how we've been faring the last couple of weeks in the Liga. So we're going to take a quick break. Of course, I am the Mr. Mike Augustine. You follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mr. On Instagram at Mr. Benfica. And on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. Don't forget to check out any episodes and any kind of written content that I have up at www.mrbefica.com. And we'll be right back after this break. All right, and we'll start talking about the last couple of Liga matches for Benfica. And we'll go from there. This is Mr. Benfica, episode 107. Passo caminho é duro. Temos muita história, mas ainda mais futuro. 
mundo com dificuldade Em cada jornada sofrida A glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós Carregas sozinho em cada esquina um vizinho Sente o carinho do Algarve até ao Minho O vermelho pinta a Tuga e é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica And welcome back to Mr. Benfica, episode 107 with the Mr. Mike Agostinho. And before we go any further, I I must also uh, send a couple shout-outs out. Some real good work out there going on right now. And I want to profile some of it. And, and um, if you haven't seen this or, or read some of these projects yet, I would like you to do so. And I want to first shout-out on Twitter uh, a friend of the show, no doubt. Okay? And... He's known as Um Benfiquista Americano on Twitter with the handle at Benfiquista Um. Or you can go to his website, his blog, where he writes, and he does a good job writing. It's www.benfiquistaamericano.com if you want some good Benfica content in English written. Um, I, I do strongly suggest going to, to his page and checking it out. All right. Um, Really good work. He's got some good analysis of these recent matches, and I highly, highly recommend it. So I want to give Um Benfiquista Americano a shout-out here on Mr. Benfica, and also a shout-out to Benfica Podcasts, uh, Alfredo and Cristiano, of course. This past weekend, yesterday, on Benfica Independent, if you go to Benfica Independent's YouTube page, you can see their interview with none other than the living legend, Sven Joran Eriksson. You'll remember, um, if you've followed this show, I have two separate, three-episode mini-series throughout the history of this show uh, where I covered two complete two complete beginning-to-end seasons that were managed by Sven Joran Eriksson. Uh, the first one I covered was the 82-83 season, his first season in Lisbon, where Befica got to the UEFA Cup Final before losing to Anderlecht, but did manage to win all of the titles in Portugal that year. Um, and then uh, this past 
summer before this current campaign started, before the return of JJ, I did another three-episode piece covering the 89-90 season, which was the return of Sven Goran Eriksson to Benfica, his first season back where he didn't win the league, but he did get Benfica to the final of the European Cup that year, uh, losing only to the historically powerful AC Milan. And if you watch the interview, you'll get the Mr. Uh, Eriksson's memories and his his view of that match especially in that Milan team and uh yeah shout out to Chris and to Alfredo for doing that for Benfica Independent and I'm sure that was a dream come true for both of them getting to speak to to Sven Joran Eriksson the interview is in English and I I highly recommend everybody go to Benfica Independent on YouTube and check it out. Uh, great, great work by those guys, and they definitely deserve the opportunity to get to to interview a man like Sven Joran Eriksson. They've been doing this podcasting thing for so long, and um, yeah, it, it's it's very much a a well earned opportunity for those guys. Congratulations to both of them. All right, we're gonna move forward now with uh, with our our look at what's been going on in Benfica Nation, and it has not been good. As you can tell, the tone of every episode lately is is more and more dire as uh, this season continues to absolutely deteriorate before our eyes. And, um, well, like I said, in an upcoming episode, I'll break down what the president thinks. But for now, we'll stick to the football and the last match we talked about back on episode 106 was the 2-0 victory over Fumley Cone. So now we're moving, and we actually have a Tassa matchup to talk about first. It was a few days later. It was the first leg of the Tassa Portugal semifinal. Isturil Praia hosting Benfica. And uh, here are the lineups for... Here's the 22 that started in that match. For Isturil, the goalkeeper was Thiago de Maia. The, sorry, Thiago da Silva. Uh, in the back, Carlos Soria, Hugo Basto, Hugo Gomes, Joãozinho, Miguel Crespo, Murilo, Josier Lorientes, uh, André Clovis, André Vidigal, and Zavalent are the 11 for Istoril. While Benfica would come out with Elton Leite, uh, Grimaldo, Jan Vertonghen, Nicolas Otamendi, Gabriel Pedrinho, Pizzi, Rafa, Darwin, Diogo Gonçalves, and Everton Cebolinha. And... Um, well, let's let's put this in context. This is Benfica playing a second division side first and foremost. Before we praise this a little too too much, but Benfica fall behind in the twenty fourth minute. Andrea Vidigal, assisted by Murilo, puts Istrio Praia ahead first in this semifinal. Benfica would wake up a little bit, and on the edge of halftime. Gabriel would find Darwin, and Darwin would net the equalizer. It, we go into the halftime. Team talk, level 1-1. One, one. Um, we get some some substitutions early in the second half. First, it's Istrujil in the 53rd minute, making a triple substitution. João Gamboa replaces Zevalent. Bruno Lorenz replaces Murilo, and João Carlos replaces André Clovis. Five minutes later, it's Benfica's turn to make a triple substitution. On comes Ulian Weigel, replacing Pizzi. On comes Adel Terapt, replacing Gabriel. And Aris Seferovic replaces Pedrinho. 63rd minute, and Istriel would, would counter with another substitution of their own. Jean-Thierry Lazare would replace José Laurentes. 
And in the 69th minute, it would be the Swiss assassin, Harris Seferovic, finding the back of the goal. Benfica take a 2-0 road lead. 73rd minute, and George Jesus sends on Gilberto on pl- uh, in place of Diogo Salves. Uh, Nicolas Otamendi goes in the referee's book in the 75th minute. Another substitution for Estoril in the 77th. Pedro Impige, excuse me, um, replaces Andrea Vidigal. And Darwin Nunez would double his tally in the 78th minute on an assist from Adel Tarapt. As Benfica would put this one out of reach, they'll go ahead a 3-1. And Darwin would come off in the 81st minute, replaced by Franco Cervi. Um, as Benfica see to it and take that result with them to the second leg later this week. Uh, Benfica 3, Istorio 1. So Benfica pick up a win. It's two wins in a row, something they hadn't done in quite some time. And now that takes us to a league match on Sunday, February the 14th. Moreira dos Conegos is the destination. And it is Moreirense hosting Benfica. And let's go to the lineups for that one. All right. And this is where I'm starting to already kind of, um, well, I'm starting to get see some things I don't like. <laughs> but let's start with, with Morinense's 11. Uh, they would go with Mateusz Pasinat in goal. Four across the back. They're playing 4-4-2. Uh, Nahuel Fejarezi is the right back. Um Abdullahi Ba and Lazar Rosic are the central defenders with Abdu as the left back four in midfield. Anthony Delberto, Philippe Suarez, Fabio Pacheco, and Lucas Rodriguez. And their twin strikers are Jan and Walterson. Benfica, Georges Zouge returns to that just this 4 4 2 I'm tired of seeing, to be honest with you. It is absolutely not functional. Um, it's it's just uh, I I don't understand why it's what's taking so long to make changes. But he makes a change that makes little sense to me. Okay, I'm going to be critical of this change, and I know the reasoning why some believe that this change was made. But it's in goal, and George Zouge goes with Elton late over Odi Vlakadimos. Okay. Now, yes, Odie made a mistake, a bad one against Sporting, which cost us the three points. We would have had a point. We would have walked out of there nil-nil if not for his mistake. Understood. However, in the next match, Odie was fine against Fumlico. Odie has kept this team in matches they should have lost earlier in the season. He has held on to draws. He's held on to wins. But George Zouge decides it's time to go with Elton late because supposedly he's better with his feet. Well, the Arsenal second leg when we get there, we'll, we'll say otherwise. But anyway, that's where that's where JJ's going. So Odie to the bench, and um, curious as to what type of reaction this would have on the locker room, also, um, because this is a goalkeeper that the entire team believes in and trusts, and you've just sacked him in place of the backup. Um, four in the back, it's Diogo Gonçalves, Jan Vertong, and Nicolas Otamendi, and Alex Grimaldo. Midfield, it is Weigel and Adele Trapt again in the midfield. Rafa and Everton, neither one of them true midfielders. And then Seferovic and New and Darwin, this, this strike pairing that George Zouge continues to insist upon that week after week is not resulting. But anyway, again, I was disappointed um, to see Odie benched. I was disappointed to see... 
us stick to this 4-4-2 again. I was disappointed to see Adel Tarapt in midfield again from the start. He doesn't have the lungs for this. He can't play this many minutes. Why is he constantly... He, he He's the one midfielder that doesn't get switched out half the time. And, yeah, I, I, I don't want to keep piling on this guy, but why is this guy playing so much? Shikinu plays one half and picks up a goal and an assist. Adele Tarapt in five years has a goal and two assists. It's just not working. Why are you insisting on continuing to play this guy with playing with 10 when he is on the pitch? Defensively, he brings nothing. Tactically, he brings nothing. Oh, he can nutmeg a few guys and he can beat a few guys on the dribble, but guess what? He beats the first or the second, the third one he doesn't beat. Or he passes it sideways or backwards or he loses it. How many balls is this man going to give away? He's got his fanboys out there that think he is some kind of crack and think that he is <laughs> he is the answer to our problems. Um, anyhow, he would end up being the man of the match in this one, according to Fop Mob, with an 8.3 rating. But that, uh, again, it just... I, I, it's a very weak midfield with him in there. When we don't have the ball, even Moreres is able to run it down our throats. Even Moreres is able to put us under pressure. Don't come to me with numbers about possession either. I'll pull up the stats right now. Yeah, we possessed 65% to 35. Guess what? The only stat that matters, one to one. Two more points dropped by Benfica. Going into a big match in the Europa League. A big trip to, uh, to Rome for a home match. We'll get to that in the next segment. But Benfica dropped two points here to Moreirense. Uh The goal would be scored by Seferovic. Um, but once again, uh, Benfica will be here who would, would concede a penalty. Once again, there's no such thing as a penalty for Benfica. And uh, I'm sure referees will come up. I don't know so much that I want to talk about it. Um, I mean, well, what's what more is there to say? It's... There is, regardless of how poor Benfica have played, and they've played poor, There, what does it take for a referee to have the guts to call a penalty when it's a clear and obvious penalty? What more does it take for the VAR to be consistent? Why is it a penalty when Chico Conceição falls over his own two feet or throws himself into a bigger opponent, bounces off him, and gets a penalty? But when our player is actually taken down, it's not a penalty. Don't tell me there isn't something going on behind the scenes here. It is so obvious. And these refs have such fear in being the one to call a penalty in favor of Benfica. The VAR misses obvious, obvious calls. Okay, this VAR is not working. And it's not because VAR doesn't work because you watch football from anywhere else on the planet. It works. In Portugal, it doesn't work. Why? Why? Does it take in Portugal six, seven minutes sometimes to come up with a decision? We go to the Europa League, right? We You saw in the, in the matches with Arsenal. took about 30 seconds to make a definitive decision by the VAR. Why is it that our referees are so special and so slow that it takes them so long to look? Where? I'll tell you why. Because they're looking for something to justify the call that they want to make, not 
something to prove the call that should be made. Yes, referees are high, heavily conditioned in the Portuguese league. There is no question about it. Absolutely no question about it. That, however, does not excuse these performances. That does not excuse dropping points at every turn. That does not excuse this inability to put the ball in the net. That does not excuse this piss-poor play from our team. The only thing I will say is that the team we're chasing for second right now is no better than we are. The difference is they have 13 or 14 penalties and we have zero. That's the only reason. That's the only difference between us and the team in second place. I'm not even talking about first place anymore. Listen, you can roll out the green carpet. You can roll out the golden walkway. You can mark it here. Sporting Club Portugal are your champions 2020-2021. They will win the Liga Nage. They will win it running away. And it's largely because we've pissed so many points away. And our rivals up north are no better than we are, except they have the penalty kicks to stay a little closer. But you see when they don't get penalty kicks, they don't get results either. How many of you saw them this past weekend in that Clásico that nil-nil classico. Porto, you know, no answers. Absolutely no creativity. No ideas as to how they were going to beat Porto, if they uh, how they were going to beat Sporting if they couldn't get a penalty kick. But anyway, that that's that. So we leave Moreira dos Conegos. We would the next match would be in Rome against Arsenal. We'll skip that for the next segment, and we'll move to last Sunday, February the twenty-first. In Faro, France, Benfica, and maybe the ultimate low point of the season. I don't know. This this is really bad. This is a real low point for Benfica. A nil-nil draw with France. France's last clean sheet in the first division. November 25th, 2004 against Beta Mar. My goodness. My goodness, 15 years since the last clean sheet. They get it against Benfica. Not only can we not beat Vasco Siabra, we also can't beat Jorge Costa. Remember when we played Ferenc in the first half of the season? Remember when we played him at home and we scored three goals? We won 3-2, to two, even though we conceded... Ridiculous penalty kick against us. We saw Otamendi, if I remember correctly. Was he sent off? He might have even been sent off in that match for two yellows. Um, had a penalty called again. It was Otamendi's debut. Where he learned the difference between how referees call Porto games and how referees call Befica games. He learned very quick, didn't he? Um, on that day, we couldn't keep them out of our net. Today... And I also remember Odie winning, uh, saving two penalty kicks that day. Um, on this one, we couldn't find the net. Let's go to the lineup quickly. Uh, Farens goes in a 4-4-2, as does Benfica once again. And it is Rafael Defendi in goal for Farens. Uh, Anime, Idrisi, Andrea Pinto, Eduardo Mancha, and Fabio Nunes, the back four. Madi Keita, Jonathan Luca. Uh, Buda and Ryan Gold are the four in midfield with Lika and Pedro partnering up front. Uh, 
after having a fairly successful European match at midweek in a 3-5-2, Jorge Jesus decides to go back to 4-4-2, even though, and I know Lucas Verissimo wasn't necessarily uh, an option for this match because he picked up a knock, um, maybe just some fatigue in the Arsenal match, you know, at the midweek. But again, Elton Late goes in goal. Okay, you don't have just because you don't have Lucas Verissimo, I don't think means you have to go back to the stupid four four two. That doesn't work. They should have the easy thing to do would have been well, Vigel was suspended, so that was another pro, another problem. But they still could have gone with they could have put in let's see who they have here on the bench, uh, for the central defense. They actually didn't list any central defenders other than Lucas Verissimo, so I take back what I was about to say. So you couldn't go with three in this one. But Gabriel and Trapped partnering in midfield. Only good things can come from that tandem, obviously. Um, Hafa and Everton, you know, doing a lot of running. A lot of backtracking. And what happens is you have two guys that can dribble. Two guys that can go forward with the ball. And they're using all their energy getting back and defending. This is another flaw I'm seeing in the team. And then, once again, these twin strikers, Darwin and Seferovic. Darwin would be pulled from this match. And this the, the memorable scene of him distraught on the bench. And not a single veteran could be bothered to console the kid. What in the hell is wrong with this team at its core? What is wrong with this team at its core? These, these guys don't play for each other. They don't pick each other up. There is no team element in this group of players. It's clear. It's clear. Each one does his own thing. These two strikers, okay, what's really aggravating me? Match after match. They're lining up in the center, and they're both making their runs wide to the touchline. Okay, when that is your attack, when your two, when your two forwards in a four-four-two are making runs wide, someone has to fill that void in the center. Guess what? It's not going to be Adel Tarapt and Gabriel. It's supposed to be Everton and Rafa, but they're too far away most of the time. They have to track back so far that they're not in position to go into those spaces that are being left open by the strikers. This is not working. So what you have is you have Darwin playing down the left like a winger, crossing it for nobody. Or crossing it for one guy, Seferovic, who's marked by three guys. It's such a flawed system. Why are we sticking to this? How can a manager like JJ with 30 years under his belt not have a better solution than this? How can a manager of this level not be able to adapt at all? To the players that he has in his team. He's stubbornly sticking to what he considers to be his game. And he's going to consistently try to mold 25 players to fit his game. Rather than him changing his style to fit the players he has. I get it. He probably wanted players he did not get. Guess what? Sometimes you have to actually coach. Sometimes you have to actually think. Sometimes you have to actually adapt. And this old man seems incapable of doing that right now. Incapable. And then don't come to me telling me that the team needs Carinho. Needs 
Carinho is the word he uses. Carinho means uh, affection. Okay, this whole call for unity. Uniting in something that's wrong is not worth uniting. Unity for unity's sake means nothing. You have to unite in something that is good. You have to unite in something that is meaningful, in something that is bonded, something that represents everybody. This Benfica doesn't represent anybody. Why do you think fans are the way they are? They feel detached. They feel distanced from this this team. Nobody speaks their mind. Everybody gives the, the, the status quo. Everybody gives the company line. I don't know that the, the supporters have ever been this distant from the team ever. And I know part of that is because stadiums are empty. But everybody's stadiums are empty. Everybody's. Okay? Our rivals fans are not, are not distant like we are. They need to do a better job. And I know players have been getting hounded and, and there there is, you know, reports of players having to turn off their social media. That's not the answer either to just attack people, to attack players. It's not the answer. Very few people are offering solutions. Okay. Threats are, are useless right now. Uh, a lot of people calling for the manager's head. That's not by itself going to solve anything. Yes, maybe a new manager will solve it, but it has to be the right manager. And it has to be the right plan, the right the right plan of action that suits what we have in our team right now. Just changing for change's sake isn't going to fix anything. We're on the third manager going with this group of guys and it's the same thing. It's not changing. You need to take a different course of action. Now, being as far behind as we are at this stage of the league, the sport, the 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 sporting thing to do right now, if you're thinking in a sense, in a football sense, is to blow this team up and to rebuild. The problem is we we run on finance on financial uh, influences, and we cannot afford. To not come in second place. It's going to be hard to get second place. And I have very little faith that the way things are going right now. That we're going to get anywhere near second place. In fact, fourth place seems to be where we're headed. If drastic things don't improve quickly. But. We're just. We're not getting from this group of players what we should be. Maybe we should start building for next season. Maybe we should. You know. And I think we need the answer for me is to play a three-five-two or a three-four-three. Okay, it is to go with that three-man back line, and it is not for those three, but for the other seven on the field to learn how to play that way. Okay, that's that's where the work needs to be done. The three in the back and Weigel, they know exactly what they're doing. Everybody else seems confused. Okay, the wing backs need to be reaccustomed to playing wingbacks. But in our league, where we will be playing against teams that are going to retreat and allow us to come up, the wingbacks will be able to be much more functional. The whole point of playing a, a formation with three central defenders and with wingbacks is that opportunity to flex from a three-man backline to a five-man backline when needed. Now, Arsenal was able to just... We'll get to it in the next 
session, uh, the next segment, but they were able to just pin us back for large stretches of time and make it a back five. That's not obviously the goal, but that is an effect of a lack of repetition, lack of ro- of of um yeah, lack of reps, lack of 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 working it through training and lack of of experience in playing that system. That's something we could use the rest of the season to work out. I want this team right now, my focus right now, is I want this team to be ready to go next season. I don't want this to happen again. Okay, I want to win the, the Portuguese Cup, no questions about it, and I want, obviously, to get up, at the very least, to a third-place position where we can at least have a chance to fight for our lives in the Champions League next season and for the financial benefits of getting into the Champions League. But if we don't fix these issues... Even if we make it back to second place, if we don't work out these issues, we're going to be right back where we are again a year from now. All right, nil-nil in this match against Ferenc, and um, it was a long time ago. Elton Late was the man of the match. He made quite a few saves in this match. Um, Nuno Tavares was, was in this one, as was Gilberto, in place of Diogo and of Grimaldo, but... You know, Nuntavaj having a hard time. Okay, he's just having a hard time. The boy does not know how to defend. Not his fault. Not his fault. And I'm going to get to this. But it's time for us to get over this this delusion we have that our academy is La Masia circa 2008, 2009, 2010. Okay? We're not turning out those kind of players anymore. We turned out a couple. But guess what? Our academy players have not had to defend until they get to the professional level. So a Tumash Tavares and uh, a Nun Tavares, okay? These players are not ready to to defend professional players because they never have to defend. Benfica's youth teams all the way through, even through the U23s and through the B team, are allowed to possess. The other teams don't even try to take the ball from them, okay? What happens is is that our outside backs especially spend all their time attacking. And then they get to the first team and they're getting easily beat. We'll talk about Nuntavaraj in the next segment because he comes up in the second leg against Arsenal. But it's time to spend some money, perhaps. I think we may have something with Diogo Salves, but I think we need another left back. Okay, Grimaldo just does not do it for me as a back anymore. He would be much more suited, especially if we're going to play this 4-4-2, to be the left-sided midfielder, okay? Because he can still, positionally, he's better than Everton. Everton is a forward. He is not a midfielder. And I it just, I can't stand to see him running backwards and see him, you know, spending all of his time on the edge of our defending third, you know, cutting off passing lines. That's a role much more suited for a Grimaldo. That's just some of the changes I would make. Um, but again, inability to score. We had our chances. Couldn't finish them as the match went on. There was a chance here. Terapt possibly was taken down for a penalty. But you know they're not going to call it, so I'm not even going to get into it. But I thought I thought it was. It may have been outside the box, but uh, it was certainly a foul. Either way, um, Benfica unable again to get three points. And we lose more ground to Sporting Porto and to Braga. All right, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to focus in a little bit more on the Europa League on the round of 32 and the two legs against Arsenal. This is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu. UEFA Euro 2020. 
2020, this summer, here on the Park in the Bus podcast. And we're back here on Mr. Benfica. This is episode 107, and you hear that music by now, and you know what that means. That's right. It's time for UEFA Europa League action, and we're going to backtrack a little bit in time to Thursday, February the 18th of 2021. We are at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. That's right. Rome's Olympic Stadium was our home pitch on the day. Uh, for this round of 32 first leg against Arsenal. So reported in past uh, episodes um, due to COVID-19 restrictions, travel restrictions and quarantine quarantine procedures that were in place in both countries, both in Portugal and in the UK. These two teams not allowed to travel to each other's countries. So we had to find two neutral sites for these two matches. The first of which was Befica's home leg played not in the Stadio de Luz, but in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. And uh, someone mentioned on Twitter, I forget exactly who, but I remember that uh, the tweet was, what kind of home pitch is this? The stadium is all blue. And yes, the Olympic Stadium has blue seats all the way around it um, and a running track around the pitch, something we also are not used to for home matches. But that is where we played this match. And Benfica come in in, in poor form. There's no question about it. Uh, Benfica coming in, and here is their last five coming into the match. Two wins, two draws, and a loss in the last five for Benfica. That loss, of course, coming to our rivals and the current Portuguese league leaders, Sporting Club de Portugal. Although Arsenal come in on similar form, they've got two wins, two losses, and one draw in their last five, but they're fresh off a 3-0 victory over Leeds United the weekend prior to this match. Let's look at the lineup. We'll start with Mikel Arteta's aside from the English Premier League. Yes, Arsenal. Uh, the Arsenal, as as many call them affectionately. In goal, it's Bernard Lino, uh, Leno. Uh, four across the back. They're playing a 4-2-3-1. Hector Bellerin is the right back. David Luiz and... Gabriel are the center backs with Portuguese international Cedric Suarez getting the start at left back. Uh, double holding midfield or a double pivot in midfield. Uh, Daniel Sabajos teams up with Granit Xhaka. Three attacking mids in front of them. It's Bukayo Saka on the right, Martin Odegaard central, and Emil Smith-Rowe on the left. And they're playing, of course, in support of the striker and the very good striker, none other than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, the captain of this, this Arsenal side. Georges Zouge would make some changes, some much-needed changes in his lineup, something I've been calling for. Um, Befica come out in a 3-5-1-1 is how it's distributed here. Yes, in this match, it looked a lot more like a 5-3-1-1 a or even a 5-3-2. But listen, some of that is due to 
the quality of Arsenal because Arsenal did have some real quality play at times, and also to the lack of familiar familiarity of playing the system uh, throughout throughout the lineup. This is something they'd only done once before, and that it was tried in the the match against Sporting, and I thought it worked f- quite well for the for much of that match. Yes, we didn't get the ending we wanted, but that was due more to a a error, a decision making error by a goalkeeper than it was a formation issue, in my opinion. But anyways, um. Let's look at the eleven. So Elton Late gets the, the the start again. We just we talked about him in the last segment. It looks like he is the new number one for George Jesus right now. Uh, three central defenders. So it's the debut of the arriving Lucas Verissimo. He plays on the right as he arrives from Santos. This is his debut, and what a what a time to debut in Europe in the Europa League against a team like Arsenal and against a striker like Obama Yang. Nothing uh, nothing says baptism by fire more than, than having to face a big, strong, fast striker like Obama Yang, something you don't see much of in South America. Much different style, much more possession-based style in South America. So... It was interesting to watch Lucas in this match and in the fall in the in the in the later matches to see him adapt to European football. He's of course partnered by the central center defender. If you wanna, if you wanna be exact, it's Nicholas Otamendi, the very very on form Nicholas Otamendi, and Jan Vertonghen plays as the left center back. The two wing backs, Diogo Gonçalves, gets the start down the right. And Grimaldo gets to start down the left. Ulian Weigel is the holding mid. And this is where I may have a little bit of an issue with the selection. Um, not the players selected, but the I would it I would have preferred. So I what I did when after these two matches is I've also talked to some of my former coaching uh, colleagues and and people that really study the game a lot and people that look at systems of play a lot and a lot of formations and it was pretty consistent consistent there was a consensus excuse me um between just about everyone I talked to that with a back 3 most of us like the idea of a double pivot in front of that that's what i see done by most teams and this this system's very common in germany especially and you see a lot of double pivots you don't see a a one holding midfielder, but George Zuz goes with the holding midfielder in Ulian Weigel, and he has Adel Terapt and Pizzi in a triangle in front of him, and then Luca Waldschmidt gets the start in behind the striker Darwin Nunez. As Darwin continues his his struggles through the season, we've talked about him already um, quite a bit, and Luca also looking to find his form. They're hoping to get it here in this Europa League. So, I've said what I said about the lineup and about the formation, and I, I for one, um, think that that's the one adjustment I would make is I would go with two, uh, two in the pivot. I think, I think that with Samadish not being an option because now George Zuz is saying Samadish is injured because I think Samadish next to Weigel is really the best double pivot, but that's not an option. So I would say that Gabriel has should be playing next to Weigel in a double pivot with either PZ or Terapt or, or even Chiquinho in front of him in that in that triangle. Even someone like Rafa could have come in and played in the center in a 
well, Rafa would have been better as a second forward, but Waldschmidt could easily, in my opinion, from everything I see from him, I think he would be a natural to drop into midfield when necessary. He seems to have all of the tools and all of the vision, all of the understanding to play a little bit further back. And maybe he can find some form again when he's not so under pressure to create goals. When he's, you know, if he's playing a little bit further away from the goal and he can have more of the pitch in front of him, he he may be able to find a rhythm again. But that's not where George Zouche decided to go with this one. So those are the lineups. And now we'll go through the ticker quickly because we do have two matches to talk about in this segment. And um, the first half is is quite quiet. Um, Arsenal have plenty of opportunities, though. And you can see it throughout the half. Benfica playing a little bit more reserved, a little more cautious, a little less eager to go forward. Uh, A lot of people, you know, uh, critical of this, this approach. And it's maybe critical of the system, but I think it's it's due more to the lack of familiarity with the system, and also maybe a little too much respect for Arsenal and their speed. But you have to realize when you take on a side like Arsenal, remember, yes, we got three central defenders now, but we have easily the slowest backline, probably in this Europa League at this point. So. If Benfica are anywhere near as prepared for this match as they should be, they're naturally going to sit back a little bit more. And I know fans don't like to see this, don't like to hear this, but I can guarantee you they were concerned about the pace of Obama Yang, the pace of of Saka, the pace of of the attack, okay, Smith Rowe. Um, They're going to sit back a little bit more. And the two wingbacks are... mm -hmm, have not been playing the, those positions. So they don't have the same natural inclining yet to know when to go up, when to come back, where to position themselves. So they're naturally going to start from a further back position because they're unfamiliar with it, and they're going to gradually pinch forward, I think, and gradually you know, start to feel out how the position works and where they're supposed to be at what time. And that naturally turns Benfica's formation, like I said, into more of a five-man backline. That was going to happen in this match. Okay, the the beauty I think of this system is when you're under pressure, it's a five-man backline. When you're the one providing the pressure, you've got one more guy going forward. Okay, you've got now two wing backs. You've got more men going forward. And you've only got the three center backs staying back. So you got a guy like Weigel being able to get further up the pitch. If you're playing a 4-4-2, the two outside backs, they they go forward. And Weigel drops in between the center backs. And now you've got a distributor like Julian Weigel further back the pitch. So this system allows him to get further. And I think you're going to see him even evolve more so. And he's improved in the past six weeks. And I think he's going to continue to improve because I think if... If he can hold on to this system and they continue to play it, then I think he can increase in his influence in the match, in my opinion, because he's going to get forward. And we're going to see in the second leg what can happen when he gets a little bit further forward. He can do more things. But it is it is a lot of arsenal early on, and uh, Benfica having a hard time going forward. But... It's a chance in the 39th. Uh, Arsenal work it sharply down the right. Bellerin crosses towards the near post. And it is Vertonghen who blocks it. But Smith-Rowe was sharply onto the rebound. 
and the defender has to block the follow-up behind for a corner. A minute later, it's Odegaard with the ball in the box, managing to wriggle in behind after a quick 1-2 with David Luiz before squaring to Ceballos. And Ceballos is a fraction behind. The ball was a fraction behind the Spaniard, and his back heel was blocked. Um, Benfica were happy to see the halftime whistle when they saw it at 45 plus 1 because with 30 seconds left, it was Shaka with an uh, with a an opportunity but the the halftime whistle comes and we go into the second half and at halftime George Zouge has made a few a few changes Arsenal faded as the half wore on Arteta will be demanding more of the positivity which they started the match and the Gunners have lacked some composure in the final third in the first 45 minutes Benfica seemed content in this to just disrupt Arsenal and wait for an opportunity on the counterattack. And they did a decent job of that and of slowing the game down thus far through 45. Like I said, George Zouge goes to the bench at halftime and it's Rafa coming on. Gianluca Waldschmidt making way for the Portugal international. Benfica with an opportunity in the 48th. It's Pizzi receiving the ball inside the Arsenal box. Uh, on the right, turns neatly before going for the bottom the bottom left corner, but he can't catch the ball with any power, and it's a comfortable save for Leno. As we keep moving, in, and in the 50th, it's Arsenal with an opportunity as Saka throws a couple of stepovers in on the right and jinx on to his left before crossing it to the back post where Smith-Rowe is in acres of space, and he can divert it at goal from close range, but Elton makes a stunning save from close range, and then after making the save, the assistant referee's flag goes up for offside, all to do about nothing as the play would, would have been called back anyway. In the 52nd minute, it's an effort again for Arsenal. It goes wide. It's Bellerin surging forward, playing a sharp pass to Ceballos, who has his back to goal just inside the box. The midfielder plays a clever back heel into the path of Saka, and the youngster has a, an effort at goal, but he drags his shot wide of the near post. 54th minute, though. Benfica working the ball off of a short corner. It comes to Rafa, and have a listen. going shorter and Diogo Gonçalves they're all claiming a penalty and the referee has given it against Smith-Rowe the handball big moment in Rome found by Pizzi who scores in the Europa League yet again it's his seventh goal in the competition this season it throw penalised and Pizzi picked his spot and beat the dive of Van Leno So, Smithrow handles the ball in the area the referee points to the spot uh, I believe the referee was Mel Kuypers for this match. No, Mel Kuypers was the second leg, excuse me. But um, 
The referee for this match is not listed here on FOTMOB, but the referee points to the spot anyway. The VAR verifies the penalty, and wouldn't you know it, a penalty to Benfica, something that's practically against the law now in Portugal. But in Europe, it happens, and PZ steps up, does his best Bruno Fernandes impersonation with the hop. Uh, the goalkeeper goes one way, PZ goes the other. 1-0 to Benfica in the 55th minute. And all of a sudden, you're getting hopes. I know I was I was excited when I saw this. Okay, I got up and I I cheered, and that was the first cheer, or the first yelling I've done for a Benfica play since the one-one draw at the Dragon when Grimaldo scored, and I couldn't contain myself. Um, Benfica take the lead, but if you start to feel too good about it, well. Reality set in less than two minutes later. Arsenal goal level and the Largato himself, Cedric Suarez, receives the ball down the left. He squares it for Saka and Saka buries it into the back of the net and Arsenal respond almost immediately. Odegaard had slipped a lovely ball through for Cedric. Cedric on the left. Uh, he hits it right into the stride of Saka, who fires it from close range. 1-1, just like that. And there is a about a 30-second wait, a nervous wait, uh, for the VAR to, to confirm the goal. It does confirm the goal. The referee indicates that they did it all in about 30 seconds. Embarrassing how long it takes referees and VAR in Portugal to make a even easier decision than this one. Embarrassing. Why does it take so long in our league when in the Europa League it can be done in 30 seconds and they get it right? Anyway, we move ahead and it says here that since the start of last season, Saka is the youngest Premier League player to have scored 10-plus goals and made 10-plus assists across all competitions. Saka is 19. Years and 166 days old at the time of this match. 62nd minute, and it's a save as Rafa jinx past a couple of Arsenal players. Arsenal had a hard time uh, adjusting to Rafa's pace, that's for sure. Um, and I really think that these, this game and, and the next one also, uh, the next leg, are matches that are tailor made for Rafa's game. Okay, when we're going to be under pressure. Uh, Rafa is most valuable in those games because he can get into spaces where we can find him and he can relieve the pressure with the dribble. Um, he's a very valuable player for even that reason alone in games when you know you're going to be penned back. You need to include him. I, I'm a little surprised that Georges Jesus didn't give him the start and it, it, it needed to be a, a somewhat poor performance from, from Waldschmidt in the first half to... Uh, to encourage JJ to make this substitution, but Rafa uh, he he's able to to jink his way in, and he goes for the top left corner with the outside of his boot. He connected well with the strike, but Leno gets a hand to it, full stretch, and he made the save. A minute later, Obama Yang makes another run down the right side of the box. He fires a shot towards the bottom left corner, but it's just wide. Mikel Arteta. And Georges Zouj will will go to the substitutes bench in the 64th minute. The Gunners would send on Kieran Tierney, who would replace Cedric. 
while Benfica will send on Everton Subolinha in place of Pizzi, and Harris Seferovic will take over for Darwin Nunez in another like-for-like switch. As Pizzi leaves the pitch as the competition's top scorer, as he is the first one to seven goals in this year's edition of the competition. And after a frenetic spell following the two goals, the tempo starts to, to dip a bit. Um, the team's starting to find their their coasting pace a little bit more. Also, this 1-1 result kind of works for both teams. And thus, you know, the, the, the risk that the two teams are going to wage now is going to be very low because uh, Benfica, as the home team, has gotten... A 1-1 draw. It's not horrible considering they're not actually at home. And considering the second leg won't actually be away. Um, it'll be another neutral game. So Benfica's going to like their chances that they can get one in the away leg. And, and cancel out Arsenal's away goal. It's 1-1. And, I, and Arsenal's feeling the same way probably. Uh, they're they're going to feel confident that they can score on Benfica in the second leg. And both teams... Are gonna look kind of uh kind of comfortable with this one-one result, but in the 75th, it's Obama Yang again. He's released in behind down the left side of the box, but he tries to check back to his right for- foot before shooting, and it is cut out by the debutant Lucas Verissimo. He does just enough to win the ball back, and then the loose ball comes right into the arms of the front smothering Elton late. 77th minute, more substitutions. It's a double substitution for the Gunners. And Gabriel Martinelli comes on for Emile Smith-Rowe, as well as Nicolas Pepe coming in for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. A frustrating night for the former Borussia Dortmund uh, star as he had many chances to, to get his name on the score sheet but was unable to finalize in any of those chances. Um, he's going to be looking, obviously, to make up for it in the second leg. And George Zouge also sends on a substitute, and it is Gabriel coming on for an obviously gassed Adele Tarapt. We all know by 77 minutes where Tarapt's lungs and legs are. So I thought that JJ actually waited a little too long to make that substitution. Um, and both teams see out the result really. Shikinu comes on for Lucas Verissimo in the in the 85th minute, dropping Weigel into the back three, and another substitution, another double substitution, I should say, for Mikel Arteta in the 90th. Mohamed Ilani comes on for Daniel Sabajos, and William comes on for Martin Odegaard. And the referee blows his whistle for full time at 90 plus 4. The first leg goes uh, a share of the spoils, 1-1 to each side. That will take us to the second leg, and we'll talk about that in just a moment here on the Mr. Benfica podcast. This is episode 107, and I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Remember, follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mister on Instagram at Mister Benfica and don't forget to check out www.mrbenfica.com.
So move forward a week. It's Thursday, February the 25th, which coincides to or coincidentally happens to also be my birthday. This was my 38th birthday, and I thought just maybe, just maybe this year, Benfica could could uh, do me a solid. And I was hopeful. Um, I was hopeful for this match at the Stadio Giorgios Karasakaki in Piraeus, Greece. Uh, home of Olympiacos and um, Arsenal. This time, the host in their in their uh, rented neutral site stadium um, in Greece. And let's go to the lineup. Like I said, uh, Bjorn Kuipers is is the the match official for this one. The Dutch referee who had a fantastic match. I have to say, he did such a phenomenal job officiating this match. This was easily one of the best refereed matches I've seen all season, especially um, the best refereed Benfica match that I've seen all season. So the Gunners would line up with a 4-2-3-1 for Mikel Arteta. Again, Bernard Leno is the goalkeeper. Hector Bellerin, David Luiz, Gabriel, Kieran, Tyranny are the four across the back. Their double pivot. Once again, Daniel Sabajos and Granit Xhaka. In front of them, the same three, uh, Bukayo Saka, Martin Odegaard, and Emil Smith-Rowe with none other than Pierre-Imrich Aubameyang in at the striker position. Georges Zouge tries to change it up a little bit here. Um, and he goes with, again, Elton late in goal once again. Uh, three in the back, just as before. Lucas Verissimo, Nicolas Otamendi, and Jan Vertonghen. Wingbacks again are Diogo Gonçalves and Alex Grimaldo. And he goes with a double pivot of Ulian Weigel. But he partners him with Adele Tarapt. And I just don't understand how that's a double pivot. The, why would you ask Adele Tarapt to play as a pivot? That makes zero sense. I'm not sure what he was trying to accomplish here. Um... You're not even you're not allowing Adele to do what he does well, and you're forcing him to do what he does worse, which is be tactical. But that is where JJ went in front of them. They had 
Rafa and PZ playing in support of Aris Setfedovic. So, again, this is a match where um, at times Befica had a five-man backline, and I, that's going to happen. And I, I even think that it, you know, it, it's not even a bad thing for Benfica because they're much better at countering than they are at trying to build up the play and carry it up and trying to create a goal out of possession. That's just a fact. They, they have not been good at that this season. Um, we move through the ticker then, and we get started as Benfica playing in their reserve black kits for this one. Arsenal in their classic red tops with white sleeves. And fifth minute, an early booking for Adel Tarapton. I thought that the referee did a good job with this. And um, in the post game on BTV, actually, Antonio Hola, the referee analyst, because only in Portugal, do the, is it a requirement to have a referee analyst on your panel for analyzing matches but he gave this referee a perfect score and he said that this yellow card on Tarapt was an example of timing and of referee's intuition an example of how using the yellow card can set the pace because the referee will not have to reach to his pocket again in this match this was the only booking of the match in the fifth minute uh, for a foul on Adel Tarapt and it tells the other 21 players on the pitch just exactly what's going to happen if they cross that line in this match. In the seventh minute, it's Tierney bursts down the left, and he manages to to attempt a cross, but Diogo Salves followed the left back all the way. He got a foot on it, and it allowed the ball to redirect right to Elton, and Elton would collect it under no pressure. We move ahead, and we're in the fifth. We're in the 13th minute, excuse me. Mefica hardly had any of the ball, but starting to come off as a little bit more of a threat as they start to settle into the match. Of course, the first 10 minutes are extremely important. And um, they're trying to get the break going, and Arsenal's defense has quickly recovered. But the Portuguese team here, the... the uh, Benfica side, having plenty of attacking quality uh, to show. They have a lot of talent in the lineup, and they can threaten if given the chance to counter. In the ninth, in the 17th, it's Arsenal. We have a note here. Arsenal have enjoyed 58.7% of possession so far, and you all know just how high I regard the importance of possession. <laughs> but manage just one attempt, the same amount of attempts as Benfica. Exactly why possession? That's that says it all right there for you. Why it is the most overrated statistic in all of football. However, twenty-first minute, and it was a nice tidy ball with a perfectly timed run. Uh, Saka with the through ball into the Benfica area. Area. Obama Yang times his run perfectly between the the central defenders. Gets on the end of it, and Obama Yang with no trouble. Finishing 1-0 to the Gunners. And we will take a quick VAR check. And the VAR check confirms perfectly timed run by Obama Yang. 1-0 to Arsenal. A perfect pass from Saka who found the space to unleash Obama Yang and dissect Benfica's three-man back line. Which of course includes Premier League veterans Vertonghen and Otamendi who certainly aren't the quickest. This is a probably a little bit of an adjustment in which uh, Arsenal made from the first leg to the second because the runs from Obama Yang were angled differently in this 
in the second leg. I think in the first leg, JJ caught Arsenal off guard and surprised them with the three-man back line. This time, Arsenal were a little more prepared for it, and they angled their runs you know, accordingly to that three-man back line. So, 1-0 to the Gunners, but Benfica know they can score on Arsenal, and they'll continue to push through, and Benfica's tactics to to contain Arsenal and try to steal an away goal on the break. Um, it's obvious that that's what they're trying to do. Fop Mob notes it here. And from the perspective, the chi- the tie doesn't change very much going down 1-0. They're still looking uh, to get that away goal to cancel it out and send the match to possible extra time. And in the 34- 34th, Benfica with a real chance. It's a close one as it comes from a set-piece Peasy whips in the cross, and the cross is met by the former Tottenham Hotspur man, Jan Vertonghen. Super Jan gets his head onto it, but he can't keep his effort low enough to go under the bar. It goes over for a goal kick. And after that spell of pressure, it's Arsenal back in control. Shaka in the 36th attempts to thread a pass down the line, but it's cut out. And Smith Rowe leads the counter press, and he prevents Benfica from breaking. So the 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 original pass cut out. Benfica trying to counter, and Smith Rowe is there in pressure early to prevent a counter attack. Forty first minute, and it's some neat footwork from Odegaard who gets himself out of a tight spot inside of Arsenal's own half, and it it results in a break, and Ceballos slips down. The left through Saka, whose first-time shot is then saved well by Elton. The youngster could have really scored, though, but the offside flag would have ultimately gone up to chalk it off. And in the 42nd minute, it is a nice play here as Ulian Weigel wins the ball in pressure with a very intelligent first touch. Touches himself into space, cuts the ball, and then is cut down by the Arsenal defender. And it is a free kick for Benfica. And let's have a listen here again how it sounded here in the United States on CBS All Access. So it's Diogo Gonçalves taking the free kick with the right foot and curling it over around the wall and into the top corner. No chance for Leno on the play. And regardless of what happened, you know, regardless of the result in this tie, these two matches with Arsenal, I think, solidified Diogo Gonçalves' place in this team. Diogo Gonçalves is a legitimate verified starter now I think that right back position belongs to him and if we're going to play in this three-man you know central defense 
system. He is ideal for that right wing back position. And I think he, he already is good enough defensively to play even as a normal right back when necessary. Um, very, very good set of match, you know, both matches, very, very good performances from Diogo Gonçalves. He was actually the man of the match uh, in the first leg, according to goal point. And he also gets a very good rating in this match. He was just very, very good in both of these matches. And I think, again, Diogo Gonçalves for me now is a legitimate starter. And I think he's in. He's a, he'd be in my 11 going forward. I don't see any reason to remove him. The He can only go up. Sky's the limit. Um, he could really develop into a true, true right back right slash right wing back and he, he can show you know his versatility he's a good player on the ball he's an intelligent player and if you know if he can continue to be a guy that we can rely on on set pieces he, you know he's going to continue to to become a more and more valuable player uh, for this team so I'm very very happy to see the progress in Diogo Gonçalves and that takes us to halftime um it was a costly error uh, for Ceballos of Arsenal. Daniel Ceballos is the one that uh, commits the foul on Ulian Weigl, who has another fantastic uh, performance in this match. And then the subsequent set piece, it is like we just said, Diogo Gonçalves beating the goalkeeper, beating the wall, making it 1-0. Arsenal look a little rattled by the goal, and Benfica have to be very confident at this point. It's all level, so any goal Benfica can score going forward now worth two. And uh, it would put Benfica in the in the advantage of the away goals. So we come out for the second half, and uh, we don't get any changes uh, at halftime from either team. And we now have the only result, like I said, that could cause extra time. So the next goal would remove the possibility of extra time. And it was in the 50th minute, very, very close for Arsenal. Obama Yang dinked the ball into the net for a second time. But once again, the offside flag is up. And this one will not stand. He got on the end of a sublime pass from Odegaard, which split Benfica's defense once again. But the striker had just drifted offside uh, with VAR confirming the linesman's call. So Lucas Verissimo in the second leg didn't look as, as good as in the first leg. Uh, he also did have to come out you know, fatigued from the first leg and then was rested at the weekend in Mefica's next league match in order to be fit for this one. But I think he saw more of the reasons uh, why someone like... Pierre Emmerich Aubameyang is so hard to mark, and Aubameyang was not wasteful in the second leg by any means, uh, the way he was in the first leg. And um, JJ will go to the bench with a triple substitution in the 57th minute. On comes Darwin Nunez, Everton Cebolinha, and Gabriel. Off comes Adel Terapt, Pizzi, and Harris Seferovic. Very interesting uh, choice for George Azuz and uh I didn't really like these changes to be honest with you and I'll explain why in a minute but you know what though it brings us to uh, the 61st minute and JJ in his post game will say that this substitution was good because of <laughs> this resulted but it all comes from a punt from Elton Late and have a listen once again and see how it unfolded Hi, Elton Late. 
crosses underneath it and the header there is a poor one from Ceballos. Oh, it's a great chance here for Rafa Silva! For Benfica, who lead by two goals to one. Danny Ceballos conceded the free kick for the equaliser and he's given the ball away here. Rafa Silva was onto it like a shot and he gobbled up the chance and Benfica have turned the tie around. Here Ceballos looked as though he got it covered. He tried to head the ball back towards Bernd Leno and Rafa Silva was there to collect the loose ball. He kept his call. The flick past the keeper, the nudge into the net. It's 2-1 Benfica. And you heard it there. Once again, it's Danny Ceballos, the unfortunate one, as he gets on the end of Elton late punt and he tries to head it back to his goalkeeper and instead his header puts Rafa in on a breakaway Rafa takes a touch and then with the ball bouncing uses a a nice little bit of skill that he didn't get enough credit for in this one as he brought the ball down off a bounce and touched it around the goalkeeper and then ran the ball into the open goal to score and put Benfica ahead on the night and ahead in the tie, and ahead on away goals. Um, things are looking very good for Benfica after this this smart uh, this smart anticipation anticipation play by Rafa Silva, and then dribbling around the goalie, putting it into the goal, making it two to one. And let me tell you. I know Rafa gets a lot of flack for missing chances and for poor decision-making, but you know what he's really good at is when he doesn't have enough time to think about his decision-making. His instincts are good, and this goal is a great example of that, the way that he brought that ball down off the bounce, out of the air, and around the outcoming goalkeeper, and then ran it into the empty goal for the 2-1 to lead. And... He you had to like Benfica's chances at this point. Of course, I said to myself, remember what happened last week. we got to get through the next 10, 15 minutes without surrendering a goal is what I continue to tell myself. And I told you a moment ago I didn't like the substitution, and that's going to come in in just a moment. But in the 63rd, it is Mikel Arteta going to the bench. Double substitution. He brings on the former Atletico Madrid star Thomas Partley as he mercifully <laughs> calls an end to the day for Danny Sabajos while Brazil international William comes on for Emil Smith-Rowe. And like I said, we scored in the 61st. I said we got to get through the next 10, 15 minutes without surrendering an equalizer, and then maybe we have a chance to hold on to this. Well, in the 67th minute, the substitute, Willian, is gets on the end of the ball. He got down the left, supplies a pass in to the former Celtic youngster, the Celtic youth product, Kieran Tyranny, that is, sidesteps his marker, who was Everton Cibollina, and buries a brilliant strike across Elton into the bottom right corner. 2-2, just like that. Tied on the night. Tied on the tie. But, but, Mefica ahead on away goals. If only they could have held this 2-1 result a little longer. They left Arsenal way too much time. 23 minutes to find a winning goal. 
The assist goes to William. William gets a lot of credit for the assist here as he had just come on to the pitch. And Arsenal have won won on each of their previous visits to Greece. All right, the last two times they visited Greece, they played Olympiacos both times and won both times. David Luiz tries his luck from distance against his former club, but it is wide of Elton's goal. 76th minute, and it's some good goalkeeping from Leno, keeping it 2-1 to one as he comes out to Arsenal's rescue when he rushes to prevent a Benfica attacker from getting on the end of a pass from Gabriel. Uh, sorry, no. Arsenal's Gabriel had conceded possession, and on the end of the long pass was the Benfica attacker Everton Sabalina, but it is the goalkeeper coming out to make the nice save. And on the other end, it is Odegaard who is finding space and goes for the pass instead of a shot as it was a quick counter. But Benfica are able to clear their lines when Odegaard makes the incorrect decision. Move forward to the 77th, and it's a dreadful clearance from, from Elton. Remember, Elton is supposed to be the goalkeeper who plays well with his feet. Well, Elton did not play well at all with his feet in, in this match, at least. Uh, three times I counted errors from him with his feet. And to be honest, I do think Odie makes a save on at least one of these three goals. And we haven't got to the third goal yet, but you know it's coming. Um, another substitution in the 78th for Arsenal. It's uh Alexander Lacazette coming on for Hector Bellerin. Arsenal need a goal. They know they need to risk it now. And it's not too much of an exaggeration to say Arsenal are fighting for their lives and their season at this point. And what I'm seeing, though, that I'm not liking, and I mentioned those two substitutions, Everton Cibolina is a forward our club spent a lot of money to pay for what was at the time the Brazil national team's left forward. Everton Cibolinha is put into a match of this degree of difficulty against a team like Arsenal in a knockout European match. Second leg, where Benfica are need to hold a result. And he is lining up alongside Ulian Weigel. Six meters in front of the back three. I mean, every time you can see, you can pause the video, and it just it it it, it depresses me to see how poorly some of these players are being used by JJ this season. Why is this the player that you've decided is going to play in a central midfield role, right center midfield, next to Uli and Weigel and Gabriel, when his his place is near the opponent's goal? It's in the attack. He doesn't bring you the pieces. He doesn't bring you the characteristics or the traits of a player you need to put in that position in this stage of a match. I know it was still 1-1, but 1-1 is a result that needed to be held. Why is he bringing such an attack-minded player into such a defensive role? He's already been beat for the goal. Okay, He was beat by Smith-Rowe on the goal. 
sorry, by tyranny. And now, Benfica are just holding on for dear life. And your 20-plus million euro striker is essentially playing as a right-center defensive midfielder. It, it, I, I really, really came away very frustrated with JJ after these two matches. He does not make good substitutions. Here's another one. 85th minute. Grimaldo comes off. On comes Nuno Tavares. I talked about the Sporting match the last time we'd lost. That cross that Odie makes a bad decision on only happens because Nuno Tavares can't defend his opponent. And he allows the cross. He does not know how to close down a wide player that's about to make a cross. He does not know how to deny the cross. Why do I mention that? Well, let's fast forward then to the 87th minute. Benfica still trying to hold on for dear life. The ball comes wide on the right to Saka. And the substitute we just brought on, Nuno Tavares, at the edge of his penalty area, steps to defend Saka. And you learn when you're 14 years old that to defend a player, you turn your hips in a way in that you force the attacker to one side or to the other. You dictate as the defender where the attacker's next step is towards. Nun Tavares steps up to Saka completely square and flat, facing forward, his hips completely parallel, not turned. Saka could have gone right, he could have gone left, he could have gone between the legs, he could have gone anywhere he wanted to get around Nuno Tavares the way Tavares set up to defend this cross. The cross, far, the cross finds Pierre-Emerick Obaga-Yang at the far post and you know what happens. With three minutes to go, Benfica give up the goal that sends them out of Europe. Three minutes in stoppage time away from the round of 16, away from a historic achievement in terms of knocking out a top Premier League team. And when I say top, I mean in terms of reputation. And I can say that also in terms of payroll. But one... Obama Yang is too quick for Verissimo. Verissimo needs some time to adjust to the speed of the game in Europe. Okay, so I'm not faulting him on this one. But Nuno Tavares steps up in the worst defensive posture I have ever seen from a professional. But you know what? It's not his fault. It's not Nuno Tavares' fault. He never should have been the one subbed in in this situation. Franco Cervi is on the bench. Franco Cervi has better defensive characteristics than Nuno Tavares. Franco Cervi, when you need him, always comes through. He's consistent. He doesn't make mistakes. He can play as a left back. He can play as a left mid. Why on earth did he not bring on Franco Cervi in this situation? We'd probably be going on to the round of 16 
of uh, the Europa League and would be going back to Athens to take on Olympiakos. But no, he sends on Nuntavarsh and it happens again. You know what? The I'm not blaming the kid because it's happened too many times. It's the manager's fault at this point. Okay? This tie, I'm putting this on JJ. By this tie, I mean this matchup, this 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 round of six, this round of thirty-two against Arsenal. It's on JJ. Bad substitutions, putting players in a position to fail. Whether it's Nuntavaj or it's Everton Cebolinha. or even Elton Late for that matter. Because you know what? You're opening him up to scrutiny now too when you're going with him undisputedly. And I'm going to, I said it and I'll say it again. Odie saves at least one of those three goals. No question. Odie saves it. And Odie probably doesn't make the mistakes that Elton made with his feet. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but uh, this one got to me a little bit. I didn't, I wasn't ready to go out of Europe like this. When we took that 2 1 lead, I thought. You know, we had to get through 10, 15 minutes and holding it. Once they made it 2-2, me and I think all of you knew at some point that third goal was going to come. We left them too much time. And I think the players knew that too. They played like it. They were afraid. This team has a real weak mentality. They are very, very weak mentally. I've said this before. That needs to be worked on or you need to get new players in here. And I'm not for turning a roster upside down, especially one that costs this much. I'm not for emotional coaching changes just because the way teams do things. But this this weak mentality, this can't be fixed. If, if this team can't take any adversity, then we need to get players in here who can, even if they don't come from big leagues or come from you know big names. Maybe we need, it's not maybe, we definitely need a more balanced roster, but this is the group we have, okay? And the manager needs to start to put the players he has in positions to succeed. Taking a world-class left forward and playing him as a right central midfielder does not do that. You actually are making him look horrible. And you ate a goal because of that decision. Bringing on a kid who needs a lot of repetitions defensively to play left back with five minutes to play. (laughs) It took him two minutes to get beat and to cost you the game. That's not on the player at that point. This has happened before. This has a track record. Nuno Tavares needs to go on loan to a team that has to defend more than just in Europe or more than just in a couple of big matches. Needs to go to a Famalicão or to a a Tondela, to a Bissad, whatever, to play as a left back for an entire season on a team that actually has to defend. I said it before. Renato Paiva has said this. These kids, whether you know, these kids come up through the academy as playing outside backs. They never have to defend. No team tries to take the ball from them. 
Nobody runs at Benfica's youth teams. Even in the UEFA Youth League, the Champions League of Youth Football, Real Madrid cedes possession to Benfica. They don't try to, to control them. They try to counter them. As a result, these players get to the first team and they're not ready to defend. They, they've skipped their repetitions in the B team. That's the most important problem. Whether it's the three Tavadish, they all skip their, their necessary repetitions. I like what Elder used to say that you had to play 100 matches in the second division before you are ready to go to the A team for Benfica. I like that as a rule of thumb. I like that as a principle. You don't have to hold it to a T, but I like it in principle. But, you know, these kids have been, have skipped steps, and it shows. They're not, they're, they're not, it's like sending a mechanic to work without all of his tools. You, you send these kids off to the first team without giving them the tools they need for the, to play in the first team because you skipped steps along the way. That's a problem. That is a problem. And that is something this club needs to correct. We need to stop living in this delusion that we're just producing all of the world's top talent, okay? Because we, there are places that this academy needs to improve because it's no coincidence, okay? It's no coincidence that Nun Tavarsh, Tomas Tavarsh, David Tavarsh, okay, all are getting little playing time. Jota. Florentino, all on loan, not playing. They can't even see the kind of playing time. They've gone from Benfica to smaller teams than Benfica, and they're playing less. Je uh, Jetson, okay, goes to Tottenham and doesn't play. Not ready to play at that level. Now he's at Galatasaray. I think we got to stop skipping steps. Got to start putting these kids through the steps. They need those reps in the B team, in the second division, against grown-ups, against teams that will attack. And it's, and it's not like they get attacked a lot in the second division either. A lot of teams, when they play Benfica's B team, are more than happy to cede possession and to sit with two deep-lying lines and wait, wait to counterattack. But... They need more repetitions at that level before they can step into matches like this. And as a result, Benfica go out of Europe here in the round of 32 once again, second year in a row. And that is going to do it for this episode 107. Thank you for sticking with me here. Uh, thank you for uh, for keeping me in your rotation. Thank you for subscribing. Um, I know, like I said, it been a couple weeks since I'd put anything out. Uh, good to be back talking into this microphone. I'll be back in a couple days with the review of the Riwav match. Um, I'll be. Uh, my goal is to get another women's league episode done this week. I know I've said that before, but I really need to get it done this week. Our women's team is killing it. Another win on the weekend. Uh, this time four to two over Maritimu, top of the table. I have a real good feeling about our women's team. All right. Also, shout out to Benfica's basketball team. Uh, beating Porto this weekend. A big win for them. A much-needed big win. Uh, big game from Rafael Lisboa. He really stepped up his game. I really enjoyed watching 
uh, our Benfica basketball team go into the Dragon Arena, the Dragon Arena, and just outplay and outwork and just outbang uh, Porto's team. Great, great performance and um, hope to see that team continue to improve. All right, that's going to do it for this episode 107. And, of course, I'm going to send you away for the last time this season with the Europa League anthem. You all know how much I like this anthem, and I will catch you next time in episode 108. Thank you for listening. This has been Mr. Benfica, a production of the PTB Media Network.